Hi, everyone. It's Seth Rudesky. Welcome to Seth Rudesky's Back to School. This week, I'm gabbing with Dana Delaney about not just high school, but high schools. She went to multiple high schools, including to a boarding school. So I'll be with Dana Delaney very soon. I thought I'd begin by talking about math class, which was never a favorite of mine. And I just feel like the teachers in my high school were so sassafras. I remember one time this guy named Steve walked into class wearing shorts, and I guess his legs were skinny. And Mr. Bain was like, that reminds me, we're having chicken for dinner tonight. (laughs) I guess because he had like chicken legs. Then my weirdest teacher was Mr. Couture, my algebra teacher. He was French Canadian, and he would constantly say, it's raining outside. And he also, by the way, had a very weird accent. But he would say, it's raining outside. That was his way of saying like, you know, someone says like, why are you doing that? And someone goes, I don't know, why is the sky blue? It's raining outside was his response to what he deemed a stupid question. And then on top of that, he'd sort of talk like this. I don't know why. Why? So you'd be like, you know, Mr. Couture, is this going to be on the test? It's raining outside. Mr. Couture, like, you know, is this an, can we use an open book for the finals? It's raining outside. I wish, by the way, someone was listening to me right now from Euler High School because that is an amazing imitation of Mr. Couture. And P.S., it's an amazing comeback to just use in everyday life. Anytime anyone asks you something stupid, like, do you like keto or the 17-day diet? It's raining outside. Boxes or briefs? It's raining outside. God, if anyone's listening from Euler, please contact me. And just I just need a thumbs up that my imitation is a mossing. It's raining outside. All right, peace out. Here comes Seth Dreski's Back to School. Dreading morning classes. Stealing bathroom passes. Football. Drivers at SATs. Bullies that attack me. Why do I have back knees? Jock straps. Training bras. Frenemies. We remember back then. It's like freshman year again. Ready, steady, now you're in it. Let's all stop this any minute. Seth Dreski's Back to School with Dana Delaney. Hey everyone, it's Seth Rudetsky. I'm back to school with today's guest, who is an Emmy-winning star of Desperate Housewives, Body of Proof, Hand of God, China Beach, my husband's absolute favorite. It is Ms. Dana Delaney. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hi, Dana. What a lovely closet you're podcasting in. Thank you. You can see all my kids behind me. And do you like this? These are my favorite. These are my Tom Ford sequin trousers. It's literally a full wardrobe. I see the shoe rack. I see it all. Yes, and there's lots of leopard here. (laughs) It's very Edith Prickly, Andrea Martin. Okay, tell everybody, when did you, I know you went to a couple different high schools, but when did you actually graduate? 1974. Okay, so your beginning of high school, you were living at home at the time. You went to boarding school after, right? Right. I was living in Stamford, Connecticut. What was high school like for you back then? Did you have older brothers and sisters? Did you carpool with them? How'd you get to high school? It was actually a very exciting time because I was literally bused. This was during the busing period of integration. I was bused from the very nice Stanford suburbs down to downtown Stanford to the other neighborhood. And it was fantastic. I loved it. I think it was an experiment that completely worked. People would um, do all these like sit downs and moratoriums. In that age, it was a very exciting time. And when you were 14, were you thinking you were going to be an actress even at that age? Yeah, I always, since I was like three. And I knew nobody. I mean, it wasn't like my family knew anybody. But, you know, we lived in Stanford. It was an hour train ride into the city. My parents were great. They took us to the theater. My first Broadway show was, I believe, The Sound of Music. Mm. And they kept bringing us into New York to see shows. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. If you wanted to be an actress, what were your academics like? Did you not care about academics? No, I was a good student. I was a good student until the 10th grade. And then the boys took over. 
and then everything changed. Well, what does that mean? How did it change? 10th grade, I went back more to my neighborhood and we drank a lot. I started drinking like at 14. You know, it was like Boone's Farm out the line and some older kids had cars and we'd skip school and I'd sneak out of my house at night because we lived in this modern house where I had my own door out to the terrace. So I would sneak out at night and the boys would uh, pick me up in the car at the end of the driveway. And it was quite innocent, though, because we'd drive over to somebody else's house. We'd drink wine or beer. We'd hang out. We'd all fall asleep in one bed together. You know, nothing sexual was happening. And then they dropped me home before dawn. And my parents never knew. Had no clue. Did they ever find out? No. The only time they found out was when I fell in love for the first time. And it was my brother's friend, two years older than me. My brother was not happy about that. And I would just be at the end of the driveway, make it out with him for a long time. And I was supposed to be home and we would be naked in the back of his car, making out, huh. <laughs> totally naked. <laughs> and um, finally, my father would drive down the driveway. It was a long driveway and like shine the lights of his car into the other car, just like meaning get back up here. <laughs> but they never forbid you from seeing him? No, I was grounded for a while, but that only added to the fire, you know. But if you would sneak out at night for these big group gatherings, what was the appeal of drinking alcohol? What were you thinking? Like, what was the fun part about the alcohol drinking? Oh, I love to drink. I still love to drink. (laughs) Um, Escapism, you know, total escapism, just fun, getting high. It was, you know, you were becoming an adult. And this is early 70s. What was your look? Were you like prairie skirt, long hair, fry boots, clogs? No. My mother was very much the fashion queen. Like every September, we'd be taken into Bendel's in New York to go shopping for our school wardrobe. And I got my hair cut at Sassoon by Paul Mitchell at Bendel's. My mother was quite fancy. So I had, you know, the short Sassoon haircut. And I wore the latest fashions. I had like, you know, mini skirts and turtlenecks, poor boys. I was mod. I was very mod. And basically every kid in high school hates some aspect of themselves. So what was the part that you're like, oh my God, I hate my... Oh God, everything. (laughs) My God, uh, girls are so hard on themselves. I know I thought I was fat, definitely worried about my weight constantly. And my mother was probably anorexic, so she didn't help, you know. But yeah, probably fat and, you know, why doesn't this boy like me and... Oh, my God. Yes. All that stuff. What was your biggest heartbreak in high school? Well, what happened was I finally got together with my boyfriend, Marcus. And this says something about me. I was really determined to lose my virginity. And he was very hesitant. And he was two years older. And it wasn't until finally it happened that I realized it's because he was a virgin. He was scared. I planned the whole thing out. I remember to this day, and I celebrated every May 13th. <gasps> My uh, parents were away in Hawaii at a plumbing convention. Ooh, fancy. And I skipped school, and it was a beautiful May day. And Marcus met me at my house and finally did the deed in my own bed. And, you know, it was lovely, not very eventful because I didn't realize he was a virgin, but it was lovely. And then um, I remember going outside on our back porch, looking at it, this beautiful May day and everything. And he walks out and I've got this smile on my face, like a Cheshire grin. And he looks at me and and I see this look of terror in his face, like, 
oh my God, what have I created? <laughs> and I realized, oh, I got this. I get this. I know how to do this. I think a lot of women understand this, especially if you've been kind of quiet most of your life. I understood the power of sex. I understood the power of the sexuality and also in a beautiful way that it was like this opening, this whole, you know, tunnel into a whole nother, you know, not to be, you know, as it were, but it was uh, like this possibility. And it was, it was, to me, it was mystical. It was a mystical experience and people make fun of me for that, but I still see sex as a mystical thing and an elevated thing. And I've never stopped believing that. To me, that was an elevated experience. But the heartbreak was the next year, junior year, we moved to Virginia. My parents got divorced. It was very long, drawn out and ugly. So it was kind of like a reversal for me in that I was in a new town, new state, very different, didn't know anybody. I was living with my father. And I realized, oh, I got to uh, get control over this. So I said to Marcus, you know, we have to break up. I'm too young for all this. I'm not ready for all this. And as a Catholic girl, I made this decision. I'm never having sex until I get Mm. married. That's never going to happen again. I was anorexic for a while, just trying to get control over my life. Got straight A's, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. And then that ended when, of course, I fell in love again. So love has always saved me. That's interesting because it could have gotten worse from the love, from the ups and downs of love. No. No, because when I'm in love, I want to like eat and drink and celebrate. But let me ask you, most kids move in with their mothers. Why did you not move in with your mom? Because it was the 70s and it was right at Helen Reddy. I am woman, hear me roar. And she wanted to work. And she was an interior designer in Connecticut. And she was really getting successful. So how did you feel that she basically didn't want you to live there? Uh, it was it was an interesting period. Yeah, it was an ugly divorce. And I remember saying to her, I'm never having children. And she said, oh, you're just saying that now. I said, well, it doesn't seem to make you very happy. And I haven't had kids and I've never gotten married. And it's worked out fine. <laughs> yeah, here's yeah. <laughs> and where is Marcus now? Do we know? Last year, I was shooting this series in New York, The Code, and I was in the makeup trailer talking to the hair and makeup people. And we're talking about ex, you know, first loves kind of thing. And I said, you know, I know where all of my ex-boyfriends are. I'm pretty much friendly with all of them. And I've never heard from him. And does he know what happened to me? And I've tried looking for him and I can't find them. You know, you can look up anybody now. And so there became this thing, like, who can find him Mm. first, you know? And nobody could find him. And I came back to L.A. and I found this picture of him and me and his mother on a beach with his sister. His mother never liked me. And on the back, his mother said, Mark, Mark's girlfriend. Oh, no name. <laughs> yeah. And his sister, Meredith. And I thought, Meredith? I wonder if I could find Meredith. So I found Meredith on <gasps> Facebook. And it turned out she lived in Ohio. Her mother's still alive. I recognized her mother. And I couldn't find anything on Mark. And then I saw that her father had died. So I looked up his, if I wasn't an actor, I wanted to be a private detective. Mm. I found the obituary for the father. And then it said at the end of the father's obituary, survived by his wife, his two daughters, and his his late son, Mark. (gasps) And I was like, what? He's dead? So I said, I got to find out what happened to him. So then I found Mark's obituary. Oh, no. 
And get this, it made me so sad. He'd been at a car accident, not driving. He was in the car in Ohio and the car crashed. He was the only one who died. And he was 21. Oh my God. 21 and married at 21. And when we broke up, he was 19. So he must have met this woman, married her shortly thereafter. And I'm thinking, oh my God, he never got to have a life. And he's probably was with two women, you know? Oh my gosh. Me and this woman. It made me so sad. And I keep wanting to write to his sister, which I'm going to do, just to tell her how much he meant to me, because it was a big deal. And when you say you celebrate that day, what does that mean when your non-virginity day comes around? How do you celebrate? Because it was such a perfect day to me. It was just full of love and spring and fun. And it just felt like the whole future was ahead of me. And do you commemorate it by just having sex? (laughs) No, I wish. Uh, that Just would be good. <laughs> yeah. Everybody call Dana May 13th. She's available. <laughs> what was your um what was your easiest class besides like, you know, theater and chorus? Probably English. I love to read. So that's what happened was my senior year, because I told you I had four different years. In Virginia, I had to go to private school because the public schools were not good down there in nineteen seventy-two. And my public school in Connecticut was so good that I was too far advanced for that class. And I was rereading things that I had already read, like a separate piece. So I got this romantic idea about prep school from having to reread it again. And I had a great English teacher in the private school, Mrs. Norfleet, who was like classic, probably 80 years old. She seemed like it with the white gray hair. And I talked to her about maybe I could go to prep school. And she said, I think you should. I think that you should go away and go to prep school. So she helped me apply to Andover and Exeter. And I didn't tell my parents. Again, obviously, I lived a whole secret life. (laughs) And I applied to both of them. And Andover accepted me first. And I didn't even know it was the first class of girls. It was the first year that they were accepting girls. And I asked my father if I could go. And he was like, is that what you want? I said, yeah. And he said, okay. So I went went to prep school my last year. Such a brave move, especially to join a school where kids have been together for all those years. Weren't you an outsider? At first I was, but the theater, again, saved me. You know, we had to write an essay to get in, and it was, where do you see yourself in 20 years? And the admission sent it to me so I could have it. And the first line was, no crying babies and husbands late for work for me. My day begins at eight when the curtain rises. (laughs) So theatrical. And it turned out to be true. I know. And everything turned out to be true. You weren't surrounded by like a bunch of like rich snob banker people and corporate lawyers? Well, there was definitely the preppies there. But the thing at Andover is the motto there is non-sibby, which means not for myself. And they really ingrain that in you, that if you are privileged enough to go to the school, which is a privilege, you have to give back. That's your responsibility. You know, not everybody gets this. We had no prom. They thought it was really indulgent and bourgeois, and it was a waste of money. You went right to the sex in the dorm room instead. Cool. (laughs) Skip the prom, get to the sex. Um, (laughs) 
Did you ever get in any trouble from any of your teachers for anything in all your high school years? No, like you can probably tell, I know how to act a certain way so I can get away with murder. Hmm. That's kind of my thing. And I had a very wholesome look. You still do, dear. Is there something that you did that you should have gotten in trouble with? Yeah, like I had boys all the time into my rooms at boarding school, which you were not supposed to do. I'm telling you, I was boy crazy. Even my teacher at Andover, who taught Shakespeare and film, who I adored, and I think he had a crush on me too, huh. like, once I was sick, and I remember he sent me like a box of with little cognac in it, you know, and all these helpful things, wrote me a note and said he missed me and that kind of thing. But there were girls who were sleeping with professors at Andover in senior year. It was quite common. And now you could get arrested for that. Yeah, as you should, by the way. They're underage. Wait, but you never did that. You were with boys your own age. No, I did not. No, I did not. How that. would you have the no. boys in your room? Would they dress and drag and sneak in? You could pretty much get anything past my headmaster in the room. She was usually drinking, too. <laughs> That's very sweet. What do you think is your biggest mortifying moment in high school? Did you ever have one of those, like you wore the wrong outfit or you were breaking out? You know, it sounds like I had a rosy childhood, but I blank out dark stuff. Mm. I think I subconsciously choose not to remember it, you know? Because for me, school was an escape from home, which was a good thing. Because your parents were getting divorced, but was it waspy, silent hatred, or was it my family Jewish nonstop screaming? There was a lot of screaming. They were waspy, but they still screamed. So your escape was school. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think your parents were most proud of you for? Um, I don't know. I think my father always appreciated that I was a modest person, actually. That's what he told me. And do you remember learning how to drive? Did your parents teach you that or did you learn in school? My father did, yeah. I love to drive. Love to drive. Did you get your own car? Another escape. Yeah. Yeah, when we moved to Virginia, I had a little baby blue Volkswagen Bug convertible. Love that car. And uh, if that backseat could talk, what would it tell me? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a fun car. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're a teenager in high school, but do you remember like what kind of made you feel like a grown up? Like, ah, oh, this is part of my next life, or like I finally feel adult now. I don't think I felt adult for a long time, actually. I've always been youthful mm -hmm. in my attitude. I still don't feel very adult, actually. <laughs> you know, people say, What age do you see yourself as? I still feel 16. I feel like in some ways that was like the best. It was good and bad, but I felt very alive then. And I still dress the same way, exactly, which is a little sad too. But, you know, it's my uniform. It works for me. Anybody who knows me knows my uniform. In fact, I said to my friend, you know, I've been dressing like this since I was six years old. And I said, I have a picture to prove it. And I sent her my um, kindergarten picture. <laughs> Striped top, shorts, and red kids. Wow. You are literal. I love it. You're literally wearing it right now. Yep, I am. I have I'm in my closet right here. I've got like uh, maybe 30 striped t-shirts because it's easy. You just put it on. Did you ever have an after school job or a weekend job or a summer job in high school? Yeah, my junior after my junior year, before I went to Andover, I uh, was a busboy in a restaurant. It's hard work. Yeah, I did that. That was okay. You know, that's where you sneak into the uh, cold refrigerator and start eating all the shrimp you could eat. 
<laughs> dipping it into the big vats of the dressing. Taco sauce, yes. <laughs> and the smell of that bleach that's always everywhere in the kitchen, you know. And then my senior year, before I went away, I was supposed to be a nanny in the Hamptons. Ooh. And I lasted two weeks. And then I went home. <laughs> Wait, why? <laughs> because I felt like the father was hitting on me. And as I said, kids are not my thing. And God, it was like a pain in the ass. <laughs> and, you know, it was a typical East Hampton's mother that wanted nothing to do with her children. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go home. <laughs> this is not for me. Did you have a particular star that you were obsessed with, boy or girl? Okay. You'll think I'm a little weird, but my favorite actress is Gloria Graham, who I used to watch in the 430 movie when I got home from school. Gloria Graham, who was Ada Andy in Oklahoma? Yes, yes. Which was not her finest moment. I think it was. She's hilarious in that movie. Fantastic acting. And, you know, Richard Rogers insisted that she play the part. He wouldn't take anybody else. And she said, but I don't sing. He says, I don't care. Anybody can sing. So they had to go note by note because she really couldn't sing. She pulled that off and she's amazing. It's a wonderful life. And then they made that whole movie about her. What is it? Movie stars don't die in Liverpool. Is that the movie? Yeah. Now, why was she your favorite? Because she was beautiful, but funny. Because she seemed like a real person. You know, I mean, I first saw her in Oklahoma and then I saw her in It's a Wonderful Life. But it wasn't until Stephen Marks, my teacher in Andover, took me to see In Lonely Place, which was the first time I saw it. This movie she did with Humphrey Bogart. And actually, Godard said this about her, that she's the only real person in Hollywood because she just you see the duality of her. You see all sides of her and she doesn't just play one thing. And I'm actually writing an article right now about her for um, Film Noir magazine. So I've been rewatching all of her movies. Oh, wow. What an interesting person to be obsessed with. Did you ever get to meet her? I did, actually. <gasps> I did, which I think was fated. And I feel like my whole life has been fated that way. My dad had just died. It was 1981. And I was on a soap opera. And I didn't like all that heavy-duty soap opera makeup that they put on you. Mm -hmm. So I was going on a Saturday morning to this makeup class on Ninth Avenue at the film center. It was called Starlight Makeup. It was the 80s makeup that was all that like glittery pink and, you know, that fuchsia and things like that. And so I went up to this place to take the seminar and there were people waiting there and everybody was waiting. It was a Saturday morning and this woman walks in and she was 56 and she had leather, tight leather pants on and this white fox fur jacket. And I looked up and I knew immediately it was her. Nobody else knew who she was, but I knew it was her because she had a very distinct lip. And I was shaking. I couldn't believe it was her. And the teacher never showed up for the class. They were all like, well, I guess we should all leave. So she and I get in the elevator <gasps> together. Like I said, I am shy. I really am shy. And when I meet somebody that I care about, I can't say anything. It's just, I get silent because I don't want to sound stupid. And we started talking about Woman of the Year because Lauren Bacall was in it and we had both seen it. And we're talking about how great she was in it. And I think that Raquel Welch was taking yep. over soon or something, right? So we talked about that. And then the elevator goes down to the bottom. She said, well, nice talking to you. I said, yeah, nice talking to you too. Bye. Yeah. 
And she um, died like a couple months later. Oh, wow. And it turns out she was very sick. Very sick. At the time. Yeah. But you got to meet her. And she lived at Manhattan Plaza. She lived in Manhattan Plaza. 42nd Street. That's yeah. cool you got to meet her. All right, so you manifested something very cool from your high school. Now it's time for This or That. In this segment, I make my guest choose between two pop culture sensations from their high school years. Out of amazing female singer-songwriters, were you a Joni Mitchell fan, Carly Simon, or Carole King? Carole King. I memorized every one of those songs of Tapestry. Everyone. Which was the song that you were obsessed with the most out of all those? Oh, probably uh, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow. Oh, because you were living it. Okay. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, Queen. (laughs) I hear you. Yep. Okay, then in terms of sort of more 70s group sound, were you the mellowness of the Carpenters or the forwardness of ABBA or ABBA, as we say? Oh, Carpenters all the way. I memorized all those songs, too. My girlfriend and I used to sit close to you all the time. Oh, sweet. Um, In terms of great comedy movies, were you Paper Moon or The Sting? Paper Moon, which I just recently rewatched, and God, it's good. And also Tatum O'Neill. Brilliant. Tatum O'Neill was phenomenal in that movie. Yeah, and Madeline Kahn. Really great. Yes, oh my God. And I met Madeline Kahn, (gasps) who could not have been a nicer person. So real, so down to earth, so modest. Great. Oh, God. I'm obsessed with Paper Moon. All right. I'm going to go with you on that. In terms of uh, kind of gender fluidity singers, Elton John or David Bowie? I think Elton John. David Bowie scared me. Although I met him too. Oh, my God. A couple times. Um, Who haven't you met? Keep going. It was in New York at a nightclub, and it was get this at a table me, De Niro, and Bowie. And I think maybe Susan Sarandon was there because I think she was having a thing with Bowie then. And what it was so impressed me about Bowie, and I think this is true of most talented people, he just listened. He really was just soaking everything up. He had no need to perform whatsoever. I was so impressed with that. So when you were younger, David Bowie scared you, but when you actually met him, you were like, you're Oprah. Yeah, yeah. So early 70s were a time of some great television. Were you a Partridge family or a Brady Bunch fan? Well, I love both, but here's another story. I had a full-size poster of David Cassidy on the back of my bathroom door. Oh, cute. And when I was going through my weird Virginia anorexic phase every Friday night, this was my routine. I would sit in front of the TV with a Stouffer's frozen spinach souffle and watch the Partridge family. And then years later in New York, I met David Cassidy. Oh my gosh. In LA, actually in LA, I met David Cassidy and it was at a Christmas performance on the radio. And he sang, I think I love you to me. <gasps> and I just remember thinking, if 16 year old me knew that this was going to happen, oh. I would have died. I would have died. Couldn't have been nicer. I think I loved him. <laughs> oh my God, he was gorgeous. Um, in terms of amazing women on TV, were you Carol Burnett show or Mary Tyler Moore? Oh, Mary Tyler Moore. Mm. I mean, I so relate to Mary Tyler Moore. I, I dress like Laura Petrie, you know? <laughs> I still dress like Laura Petrie. Yeah. And also Mary Tyler Moore and Ordinary People. Oh. Phenomenal. And that was my family. That was very much my family, that kind of family. So when I saw her in that, I was like, wow, 
I know that mother. God, I know that mother. Oh, it's not a compliment. Uh, in terms of sexy police people, were you Columbo or Kojak? Columbo, come on. I saw Peter Falk on Broadway with Anne Bancroft in Prisoner of Second Avenue. Oh, wow. I love him. I think she was in it. And I wrote him a fan letter. I've written three fan letters in my life. I wrote Peter Falk, Tom Berenger, and Tommy Lee Jones. That's a wide berth. I know. Well, Tom Berenger and Tommy Lee Jones were both on One Life to Live, okay. which I used to watch when I was in college. Tom Berenger wrote me back, actually. Oh. It was not the most legible, <laughs> but it was, he wrote me back. Never heard from Peter Falk, but I met Peter Falk years later at some event, and I told him that I had written a fan letter. He was very sweet. Oh, you're so cute. In terms of talented families, Jackson 5 or the Osmonds? Come on, Jackson 5. I know, but the Osmonds had the great TV show, Donnie Marie with the ice skating. I know, but... The music of Jackson 5. Yeah. Come on, ABC, you yeah. cannot compete with that. No, you're right. I'll be there. Come on. All right, you're right. Yeah, Yo-Yo. Yo-Yo can't compete. Just like a Yo-Yo. Were you, this happened right when you were graduating, were you a staunch Republican and you were devastated Nixon resigned or were you like, thank God he's out? <laughs> I watched every bit of the Watergate trials with my dad in Virginia. And it was the first time I saw my father cry. <gasps> he was a Nixon fan and he would sit there watching with his drink in his hand and tears rolling down his face, not so much for Nixon, but for our country, you know, that this is where we ended up. Because my father was a very honest person. I think it devastated him, you know, that any president would behave like that. This is High School Versus Now where we find out how much my guest has changed since high school. Okay, so Dana, you show up to the Andover graduation party, and who was your best friend in Andover, the new girl? Holland, but she was a year younger than me. Okay, so Holland sees you, and she says, your dress is so 1973. You have to go home, put in a poncho and clogs ASAP. What would you do? Oh, God. At that age, I would probably be mortified. I probably would do it. If she thought I should, I probably would do it. Well, I'll make it more specific to now. You go to a Desperate Housewives reunion photo, and the photographer says your dress is very, quote-unquote, mother of the bride. He gives you super low cut and five-inch heels and says, put these on instead. Definitely. <gasps> <laughs> Wait, is that because you want to fit in or because you want to – for what reason? <laughs> Who wants to look like the mother of the bride? <laughs> yeah, but you like the dress. Don't you get to tell the photographer, shove it? It's my taste. Well, see, Mother of the Bride threw me because uh, <laughs> I wouldn't want to look like that. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so if you legitimately thought it looked like Mother of the Bride, you would do it. But if you thought it was really sexy, would you have the courage? Yeah. I mean, there's a fine line between sexy and tasteless. So I think you got to ride that line, which I hopefully try to do. I hear you. Okay, how about this? You're at Andover and... um. Your friend asked you to do a student film, but at the last minute, she's like, oh, Dane, I don't need you. Then you find out it's because she asked the girl who played Bloody Mary in your South Pacific production, <laughs> who everyone says is the much better actress. She said yes. So you've actually been replaced by this other girl. How would you feel back then? That just happened to me last year. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's showbiz. What would have happened in high school? Crying or revenge? Oh, crying. No, I never took revenge. I always blame myself for everything completely took it on myself yes i was always at fault 
So how about nowadays you're about to film the Dana Delaney show and they go, good news, it's going to air, but you're not doing it. It's now called the Marsha Cross show. <laughs> Same script though. How would you feel? Then I would get my lawyer involved. Oh, okay. <laughs> good. So you got some sassafras. Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. Bravo. Okay, so before we go, I'd like to ask this. Is there anything you would like to say to anybody from your high school if they're listening, either the entire graduating class or a particular teacher or a particular person? Yeah. I mean, my class I see all the time, so they know that I love them. But I would like to say something to that teacher, Stephen Marks, who I had a crush on at Andover. He really taught me so much. I learned about Shakespeare from him. I learned about Gloria Graham and Nick Ray from him. Get this, he took me to Boston, just the two of us, to see Mean Streets when it came out. This was 1974. It was just the two of us in Boston seeing Mean Streets in a movie theater. And I remember thinking, I've never seen a movie like this in my life. I knew, I knew that Scorsese was like revolutionary. Never seen a movie like this. You know, now you would get in trouble for that. But to me, it was great. It was just the greatest. So I want to thank him for that. He was very inappropriate. It just it sort of allowed your crush to flourish. Well, I think he just appreciated who I was, and it really helped my self-confidence a lot, that he got me and I got him, and he seemed to treat me like an equal, and it was really cool. Was he near your age? He probably was only 10 years older, you know, in retrospect. But he was so smart, such a smart dude, and the fact that he liked my brain was huge. You know, to me, that's the turn on. Yeah, it's a big message to teachers. They can make a huge difference. Even all these years later, you remember that. And what if 15-year-old Dana Delaney is listening through some time-space continuum? What would you say to her? Oh, boy. Probably that you can say no more. I think that as girls, we're often taught like to be pleasing. And back then we were to please and... You know, you don't want to hurt people's feelings and that kind of thing. And I think that it's really powerful to say no. I wish I had said no more, more than one time. Maybe she'll hear you. Um, Dana Delaney, <laughs> thank you for being here. <laughs> Can I just say I'm not like an alcoholic sex addict? Can I just be clear about that? <laughs> um, that's not my impression, but that's good to know that, that you say you're not. I know you're not. It just sounds like you're fun loving. No, it's funny because I had some actress, a horrible actress, I won't say her name, accused me of being a sex addict. And I was like, what? What? Because the minute you talk about sex in a very positive, sex positive way, people make judgments on you. When I try to talk about sex as a spiritual thing, people laugh at me. And I truly believe it is. And I just want people to know that it's a good thing. All right. Thank you, Dana Delaney. It's been a pleasure. And you know, we've watched all of Desperate Housewives, but guess what we're going to watch now since I have it literally here, the amazing entire China Beach, which you sent to me. We have it sitting here. So oh, good. that is next for Dana Delaney. Great. I already watched the first episode and I loved it. Thank you, Dana Delaney. <laughs> thank you, Seth. Seth Rudetsky's Back to School is produced by Sarah Esikoff. Our theme music was written by me, Seth Rudetsky, and sung by me and Maggie McDowell. Our band was me, Seth Rudetsky, Mark Schmied, Carrie Meads, and Jim Hirschman. This episode was mixed by Sarah Esikoff. Seth Rudetsky's Back to School is a Sirius XM production.